Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. We're bringing our past events back to life for you to enjoy. Randall Cunningham is a Philadelphia football legend and a member of the Eagles Hall of Fame. He joined Thusio Live and Unfiltered in April 2018 to sit down with the professor, Glenn McNow of WIP Radio in Philly to discuss his football career playing in the city of brotherly love and what it's like to coach your own kid. Both his son, Randall II, and his daughter, Ashti, are world-class high jumpers. He also reflected on his connection to religion in his life, pertinent now that he was recently named the team chaplain of the recently relocated Las Vegas Raiders. Enjoy the interview. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, let's start at the very beginning. You uh, are one of four children growing up in the uh, West Coast. It was Santa Barbara, I Santa believe. Santa Barbara, California. Santa Barbara. Yes. And I'm not sure if everybody knows this, but when Randall was a kid, was a teenager, his brother was a big-time football star. If people remember Sam Bam Cunningham, that's Randall's brother. Don't raise your hand because you're going to be dating yourself. So you're in high school. He's a star at USC. Yes. Um, what was that like for you? It was a blessing. You know, my brother, I just saw him a couple of days ago. Um, and just looking back to uh, when he was in high school at Santa Barbara High School, he was always bigger than everybody else. He was stronger. He was kind of ahead of time. And then to top it off, he had a, an offensive line in high school that was bigger than the L.A. Rams offense, uh, <laughs> offensive line. It's kind of crazy, but... Uh, one of the guys was named Big Man that was on the line, and uh, he ended up coaching me in high school, which was pretty cool. But it was really, um, it was enthusiastic because I got to see, there was a, a picture painted for me, like a Picasso of someone who was a, a, a good person in society, who did well in school, who was a great role model for me, and, and a leader in our family as well. So I got to see that out of my oldest brother. So he set the, the tone for the family, being the oldest. So he went to USC. Your dream was to go to USC. That mm -hmm. did not work out. Why did it, that it not work out? It did work out, but I decided not to go to USC. Okay. I was recruited by USC, but um, UNLV had three senior quarterbacks, and one of them was an African-American quarterback. And if you remember back in the day, they said that African-Americans can't play quarterback in the NFL, and I wanted to play in the NFL. So I chose not to go to USC um, and to go to UNLV, and I figured that I would start by my sophomore year and I was able to start by my sophomore year, and I started three years in a row. And I uh, was blessed to come here to Philadelphia yep. being drafted, so that was pretty cool. Um, when you were in college, when you were still a teenager, you lost both parents within one year. Yes. Um, that is obviously traumatic for anybody, really the first trial of your life. Yeah, it was. Uh, I actually lost a, uh, we lost a good friend also. Um, uh, that was a great athlete who was one of our training partners who went off to Michigan State, but my, my mother passed away my first year of college, and then my, my pop passed away the next year of a heart attack, and I had to grow up. But uh, thank God I had a great support system at UNLV uh, and school where they told me, if you need anything, we're here for you. So it was like a family atmosphere, and they, uh, Las Vegas accepted me as like one of their own. And a lot of people in Las Vegas think that I'm from Las Vegas. They don't realize I'm from Santa Barbara, California. Mm -hmm. It's a good well, support system out right, there. Right, absolutely. And I know, we'll, and we'll get to it in a bit, I know that's, you, you ended up resigning there. Um, All-American in college, All-American quarterback. Anybody know what else? He was an All-American? Punter. And if you remember those punts here, yes. Um, 
get drafted in the second round, the first quarterback drafted that year. What did you know about Philadelphia and the Eagles when your name gets called in the second round? I was just happy, you know. I was happy that uh, I had set goals. I wanted to see my ball flying through the air on Monday night football and hearing Howard Cosell saying, it's Monday night football. You know, that was a big goal of mine, sure. as was for all the kids that were playing football back then. And so when I was drafted, uh, it was a blessing. I didn't realize how tough the town would be. I thought it was going to be kind of fun. But I, I grew up very quick. Uh -huh. well, uh, and you, you and I thank all of you who knew me back then. <laughs> Some of y'all are kind of young. Uh, but and I'm 55 now, which is pretty crazy. You were a West Coast kid. Yes. You knew the West Coast. You knew, I remember um, one time I talked to you, you said you knew going to the beach and boogie boards and things That's like that. That's what I did, yes. Right. This was a different time. You, you came with, I remember you showed up with jerry curls. You yes. You showed up with a t-shirt that said, uh, any questions, ask my agent. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit of a tough fit at first, is that fair? Um, yeah, it was. It was. Um, I went from being this ashy brother on the beach, you know, with no lotion, to coming to Philadelphia and finding out about cheese steaks and how to become a man, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I pray that it worked out pretty good. I just realized, uh, can I got to tell a quick story. Sure. I was uh, in church on Wednesday nights. Most of you should know now I'm a pastor, but I was in church on Wednesday night, and I had my birthday not last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before on March the 27th, and I turned 55 years old. And as I was walking up to teach, uh, one of the guys who serves in the church, he says, yeah, you're part of the uh, Young at Heart ministry now. And the Young at Heart ministry is the seniors ministry. <laughs> and so I'm up there, I'm trying to teach, and I'm like halfway freaking out, you know? I'm like, I really am. I'm 55 <laughs> years old. It's not about an AARP card no more. I'm trying to collect my pension from the NFL now. So uh, you come in as a rookie. You start four games as a rookie. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they throw you in the deep end there. They sure did. Then uh, Marion Campbell's the coach. He gets fired. Buddy Ryan comes in. You're a rookie. Ron Jaworski's the quarterback. Team's having a rough year. The plans are I'm going to sit the bench the whole year and watch and have fun. That was my plan. To mature and you know get to know all of you and everything and hang out and 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 the first game comes was it the Giants game yeah and we hadn't passed the 50-yard line and the coach Ted Marchabroda um, who was with the Buffalo Bills for quite a while came up to me says hey warm up you're in I thought he was talking to somebody else I there was nobody else there and he said warm up you're in and it's windy and it's cold and I'm thinking he's got to be kidding Lawrence Taylor's out there <laughs> Martin's out there, uh, Reasons is out there, Harry Carson, and, and, and uh, I'm thinking to myself, he's got to be kidding. He said, no, warm up, you're going in. And I'm thinking like, Ron, are you okay, man? Are you good? Can you go back in? And, and sure enough, I went in. And some of you remember uh, Greg Garrity. Anybody remember Greg Garrity? We sure. called him the trash man. Uh, we had been playing scout team a lot, mm -hmm. and we went in there, and uh, I threw a pass, and we passed the 50-yard line. I don't know if we scored or anything like that, but... Uh, we passed the 50-yard line, and I, I thought, you know, I'm going back to the bench and, you know, <laughs> keep on congratulating Ron. You know, keep it up, buddy, you know? Well, you played the four games. Did, was there a point that season where you thought to yourself, okay, I belong, I can do this? No. Okay. There was, there was never a point. That's coming. That's down no. the road. <laughs> no. No, I, uh, God was removing my pride at that time. Okay. You know, it, reality was kicking in. Sure. 
you know, I, I was bigger than everybody else in high school and in elementary and all that. And then you get into the pros and everybody's big, everybody's good. And the majority of the guys that get released from playing on the team should still be on the team. They're that good. Like, there's, you, should, you should start, like, more teams because mm -hmm. the players are so good. And I watched many uh, uh, young players uh, be released from the NFL. And I'm saying, These, that guy should have made the team guy's before this guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was kind of... Like I was uh, in a, a humbling experience, okay. really learning that I had a lot to learn. And, and Ron Jaworski is the greatest guy. He, he, he grabbed me and put me under his arm and tried to help me along. And he supported me even when I was a starting uh, quarterback. After that, your buddy Ryan comes in. A legendary figure in this town. What, did, what were your first impressions of him? Uh, my first impressions of Buddy is uh, he's half crazy. Mm -hmm. Which we all became half crazy as players as well. Yeah. Um, but he, he was the father figure that many of us needed uh, because half of us were out of control, um, half of us wanted to win, and then, you know, some of the guys were kind of figuring out when they were going to retire and things like that. So Buddy came in and he shook a lot of things up. And I think at that point in time, Philadelphia, uh, we needed someone like a Buddy Ryan. Um, things were not going so well with the team, and uh, he changed the entire dynamics of our team he went out and built a defense that was a dynamic, most, you know, dominant defense in the history of the NFL, in my opinion. I, I remember going to practice, and we would uh, have our blitz drill where, of course, the linebackers would blitz, and you got to try to pick them up really fast. But it's hard to pick up the linebackers when you got Reggie Wright pushing the center in my lap, and you got Jerome Brown throwing an offensive guard into a tackle, and he's coming through free. And then you got... Andre Waters coming in there full speed, and Seth Joyner and Byron Evans and Mike Golick and uh, Ron Pitts and you know everybody remembers Wes Hopkins as well. Mm -hmm. You got those guys coming through the gap, so I would drop back and say, "Here, coach, here's the ball." <laughs> <laughs> but it was clear that one of the things that Buddy did is he let you guys have fun. Yes, he did. Which doesn't always happen in football. No, it doesn't. One way you guys had fun back in the day. I don't know if you know this is coming. You put together a music video. I didn't put it together. You're in it. You're in it, young man. What possessed you guys to think that was a good idea? You know, I, I don't know how that thing came together. And, you know, I thought, you know, I was going to go out and have this nice rap career with Run DMC and Curtis Blow and all, of, all the guys, and it didn't work out. <laughs> no. Kept playing football. Yeah. Well... But you were, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit, I want to get back to the play, but one of the things that you enjoyed, if, I, if it's fair to say it is, you had some good friends and enjoyed kind of that life as a celebrity quarterback. Uh, Arsenio was a friend, you were on his show a few times. Yes. Whitney Houston was a friend, right? You, you, um, I think you went to her wedding, maybe, or she went to your wedding, or yes. something like that. And, and you enjoyed that celebrity life. Um, I ate it up while it lasted. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not something that always goes over well in Philadelphia, mm -mm. fair to say? Right. Did you experience some blowback on that? Um, I, I think one time um, in the preseason, I, I don't know if you remember this um, or if there's anyone in the room that remembers this, but we had a preseason game, and I, I received this beautiful uh, invitation to Whitney's I'm Your Baby Tonight album uh, release party or whatever. And I showed it to Buddy, 
And he says, hey, how are you going? I said, well, that's why I'm here talking to you, because uh, we'd have to leave in the middle of the game, uh, you know, at halftime. And it was a preseason game, so I'm thinking I just wanted to show it to him, and it would kind of like, he'd go like, wow, you're taking me, and then we would go after the game. But, but Buddy was such a father figure, he, he would do the shock treatment. If you thought he wasn't going to do something, he would do it just to shock you. And so he allowed myself, Kenny Jackson, and someone else to leave at halftime of a preseason game because we weren't playing in the second half anyway. But he, he said you had to go out and play well. So we went mm -hmm. out and we played well, and we left. And, and that's when it didn't go over too well yeah. with the media. Yeah. And it gave you guys a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, um, it was unusual. There's no question about it. When you started under Buddy the first year, he did something I'd never seen before or since, which is you were essentially um, a nickel quarterback. Mm -hmm. Third down, Ron Jaworski was the starter. Mm -hmm. Third and six longer, you'd come in. Uh, I know Jaws didn't like it, but it probably for you was a very good learning experience. It was easy for him, though, because third and long is like the percentages of getting a third and eight and longer, the percentages are like 25%. Yeah. And Buddy, Buddy was, was so innovative that he had done the statistics himself, and he saw that when I ran or I had third down, we were at about 50% with third and long because most of the time I drop back and I take off and I run. So he raised our uh, third down and long percentage up from 25% to about 53%, so mm -hmm. it did help our team. It probably was uncomfortable for Ron because, you know, you're trying to get into the flow of the game. Sure. But then I was kind of upset because in third and one, they would bring Matt Cavanaugh in for the quarterback sneak. <laughs> <laughs> just killed his rushing no, average. That's sure, absolutely. That's right. Um, you arrived here as a quarterback, uh, or you started having success here as a quarterback, but the country didn't really know about you because I think if I ask 100 people your, your favorite Randall Cunningham moment, they're probably going to say this one. You talked a moment ago about wanting to play on Monday Night Football. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm about to set up. Before I show it, I just kind of like your thoughts on playing Monday Night Football against the Giants. Playing against the Giants was very, very tough. Um, you got the big tuna there. Uh, you also have Coach Belichick as a defensive coordinator, right. and you had Coach Fox was there, and all these, all these great head coaches that became head coaches were there, and they had just the greatest scheme uh, in the NFL for defense because they were the bend but don't break. And so you had to have everything in sync or you had to make a big play uh, that would break their back. And we occasionally were able to do that, and that's sometimes how we beat the Giants. Most people get hit like that, they're going down. Well, most people get hit like that, they're not getting up. Um, <laughs> almost everybody is going down. Do you remember the play? Yeah, Carl Banks and I had cut a deal the night before. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, it was just one of those things that just naturally happened. I was focused down the field, and I thought he was going to stay there, and he was going to jump, so I was trying to figure out how to get it past him without him batting it down because he's 6'5", you know, right. 243 pounds, and he could jump. And uh, I think Mike Haddix might have went into the flat and wasn't open there. They held him, and Jimmy Giles was coming across the middle. And, you know, it took – Jimmy was kind of later in his career, so it was taking him a little time coming across <laughs> there. And so I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and here comes Carl, and I didn't see him until the last moment. And he tried to hit my legs, and I just happened to land. And I said, oh, I'm up, and I threw it, and he caught it. 
Uh, and if he'd have dropped the ball, we probably wouldn't be talking about it right now. Yeah, that's probably true. But it is one of the incredible plays. I remember the broadcaster. That was Merrill Reese's great call. Yes. That, but I remember the Monday night broadcasters just going on about wh what a talent this is. You, don't, you may not know this kid, but he's really, really something there. Um, did you know you had arrived in terms of uh, national perspective, in terms of being in the minds of football fans around the country? No. No, I was, I don't know. I was kind of like an enigma. Even the paper said I was an enigma where people couldn't figure me out. I couldn't figure myself out. Mm -hmm. And I was just really trying uh, just to be as successful as I could be. And uh, um, I really didn't feel like I had made it uh, until later in my career, even like when I had gone to the Minnesota Vikings because I had kind of got to a plateau, but I'd never gotten over the plateau. Well, the next year, 1990, you're the MVP. So we all knew you arrived then. And you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated uh, as the ultimate weapon, which became a great nickname. Mm -hmm. uh, and you become, you're getting compared to Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky and people like that. And I just want to, I'll give you my own personal thing. Um, that year, I used to write for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I got hired. There used to be a publication every year. Street and Smith would put out a baseball annual, football, basketball. And I used to write for him, and in 1990, they hired me to go interview this quarterback, uh, Randall Cunningham, and I got to spend a day and a half with you. Um, I remember a few things. One is I remember we went to a youth detention center, and there were kids 12, 13 years old, but way, way tough beyond their years, yeah. right? Um, and I got there before you, and they're kids. They're being rowdy and so on, and you know the, the people running are, tr are trying to get them to calm down. You came in, man. They all sat and they listened and they watched. What was it like for you to be a celebrity, but somebody who could command the respect of of kids who who you know they wanted to listen to you? You know, when I was younger, uh, and I was leaving high school on a scholarship to UNLV, um, many people told me. Uh, they spoke the words, do not forget where you came from. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't, uh, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't grow up rich by any means. Uh, my mother taught me that uh, anything you want, you have to go out and you have to earn it. And that's kind of the way we grew up. But when I had the opportunity, um, uh, I think we had like a certain amount of appearances we would do with the Philadelphia Eagles charity appearances. And so whenever I went out, I enjoyed being around the youth. Um, and so when I had that opportunity and the kids were giving me their attention, I wanted to sow into their lives. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was, I did remember the atmosphere was they were, they were hungry. They needed something. And I hope that I fed them with the right thing. Oh, I think you did. I mean, I remember the day and I remember them just kind of lapping it up. Had you at that point in your life found religion? I don't, I grew up in church, mm -hmm. but I don't think I was a Christian. I think I was, I was always trying to find myself and figure out who I was as a, as a human being. And, and now being a pastor, I've, I realize that it's not who I am, but it's who's in me. Mm -hmm. And um, the difference for me now, um, compared to back then, is I was searching back then. And I think still, being a pastor, I, I, I minister to a lot of people who are still searching, even 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, people are still searching. 
And, uh, but I thank God because there was a, a lady, and I don't remember her name, it was, but she was like an angel. I had a, a radio show with Merle Reese. A lady came up to me and handed me a gift and said, congratulations and your birthday or whatever. I said, thank you. And it was a Bible. And I went home and I opened it up and it said, out of all the reasons that people mention for not reading the Bible, simple discouragement ranks the highest. It says the Bible is nearly a thousand pages with several dozen authors and 66 books and uh, little wonder, but it can be confusing. And it had this program and it said, tackle this program. So I opened it up and there were all these boxes. So it said, read a, a, a chapter a day. So I started and I would check every day and I'd read a chapter every day. And this was uh, probably 87, 88. And I started reading every day. And so I read for three and a half years and I read through the whole Bible. And then I felt God saying, read it again. So I started reading again. And I finished it and uh, I said, God, I, I wanna be able to share it with people. And so it was kind of later in my career, even mm -hmm. when I ended up retiring and going to Minnesota, that I really began to mature and understand uh, walking in the spirit and walking as the light of the world and things like that. So it became something that <clears throat> it wasn't just that you were practicing a religion, you were feeling it. You were feeling yeah. it inside. It was and part because of you. Because early in my career, I had problems just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to date and I wanted to dance in a nightclub and my mouth was probably filthy, you know, and I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. Uh, but the more and more I read my Bible, the more and more I had to deny myself, mm -hmm. the more I had to understand that my life is not my own. And then I began to listen to Christian CDs, BB and CC Winans and different people. And I began to learn how to pray. And then God kept sending me other people. There was, there was a gentleman on our team named Cedric Brown, who was here when I was a rookie. And he, he played for about two years. And then he basically started a Bible study in my house a little bit later. And it was like every time he shared, it was like, the whole sermon was about my life. It wasn't he was doing it on purpose, but it was like God was speaking to Felt me it, yeah. about myself. Mm -hmm. And I had to start getting things right. Give me one or two games that really stick with you from your Eagles career um, that either you're extremely proud of or one that you'd like to, you'd like to have back, you'd like to have a do-over. <sighs> There's no do-overs now. I'm too old for all of that. So one of the games that I really remember and that I'll always remember is when we went to New Orleans. And <clears throat> I think we had lost three playoffs game or it would be our mm -hmm. third playoff game. And um, they, the Saints had lost three playoff games. And it was kind of like the battle of the losers in the playoffs. And we went down there and it was loud. And they had Swilling and Jackson and Mills. And they just had this great defense and it was loud. So they had the 12th man with them as well. And, and, and we're uh, losing the game. And the next thing you know, we just kind of amongst ourselves as players, we said, come on, we got to pull this out. So we had the two young receivers, Freddie Barnett, that we just saw, right. and a young man out of Purdue named Calvin, Calvin Williams. And the next thing you know, I started dropping back, and they called bombs, and we just started launching bombs on them. And Freddie would go up, and he'd catch one, and they, he was a high jumper, and Calvin was a sprinter and a you know, jumper as well, and he would go out, he'd catch one, and next thing you know, we were winning. And then the clock ran out on the New Orleans Saints, and we won that game. Yeah. And to me, it was our greatest victory at that time, and even today I look at it because we won it, and we did it as a team. Yep. It wasn't about Reggie, it wasn't about Randall, it wasn't about Buddy, it was about a team effort. And we did something together, which I think was uh, probably one of the the, the greatest games I've ever played in. I want to do a little quick word association, okay? Because we, we got about 
10 minutes, we're going to turn it over to some questions. Is, so this, a, is this a Bible thing? Because I'm, I'm all right with the Bible thing. Are you good with the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, you're playing over the, ba over the rim with me with the Bible. Okay. So. Uh, I'm going to throw some names at you. I just kind of want your quick reaction. Yes. Okay? Uh, Keith Jackson. I love him. He's my brother. Uh, one of the smartest football players I've met and a great friend. Rich Kotite. <laughs> See, I know from doing this, you go from one side, you, you keep them off balance. You go from one side to the other. Next. Minnesota Vikings. Um, a new beginning, a redemption. Um, uh, was a get, great year for you. Getting back, with, getting back with Chris Carter, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. And having, being able to throw to Randy Moss had to be pretty sweet, too. We had a, we had a whole crew of guys on that offense. That know? team, by the way, set at what at the time was the NFL uh, record for points in a season. Uh, Reggie White, I have to ask you that. Uh, mentor changed my life uh, through Christ. I get teary-eyed still to this day about that. Yeah. Ray Rhodes. Bye-bye. Uh, Time to go, Randall. Your, your career in Philadelphia is over with. Was that, well, I guess that leads to my next one, which would be John Gruden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, John Gruden, uh, mastermind uh, coach. Um, I want to be positive. Uh, he is now the head coach of the Los Angeles Raiders, and the Los Angeles Raiders have just moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, and I have been in contact with him. I told him, anything you need, I'm here for you. And he said, my doors with the Raiders are open to you every day. Do you think, and for people who don't remember, um, Ray Rhodes came in, John Gruden was his, I think, younger than you, yes. offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And bringing in the West Coast offense when you'd been in the league for whatever, seven, eight years, I always felt if you had started as a rookie with that, you could have mastered that. But at the time... I think I've been in the league for 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. Kind of late. Yeah. Okay. Quarterback, um, quarterbacks don't last here longer than 11 sure. years anymore. Philadelphia Eagles fans. Uh, I love them. I mean, it's simple. I don't have to say that just because I'm here changed my whole life, you know. I was kind of, uh, if you know who Timothy is in the Bible, um, Timothy would let people look down on him, and he needed to mature quickly. There were promises that God had made to him, but he needed someone to tell him the truth. And I look at Philadelphia, the fans, as the people who were truthful with me about my life. They could be tough on you. Um, there were ups and downs, but I think what I'll always remember, and I know it meant a lot to you, 2009, Jeffrey Lurie brings you back, the Eagles bring you back, yes. put you in the ring of honor. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I've been to a lot of those. That one was one of the most emotional and beautiful I've ever seen. It's still special to me to this day um, because Jeffrey Lurie and Christina Lurie, uh, we became uh, friends quickly. Um, but one of the things that I look back and I keep seeing the video of the induction is I had my little boy Christian uh, in my arms, who passed away at two and a half years old, and that was like the last encounter that I remember him being, and I'm, I'm glad that I got to bring him back mm -hmm. to Philadelphia so everybody could see him. So I was holding him when I went out on the field. Um, you did lose your son. You have three children now? Four. Four children now, excuse me. Um, for those who don't know, Randall's two eldest children, who are now young adults, are star athletes in their own right. Randall's daughter and
is the champion United States high jumper, just finished second in the world, was at the Olympics in 2016. Yes. What's that like for a dad? It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've been coaching my kids since they were little kids, and a lot of what I've learned through playing in the NFL or the training and things, I use a lot of it, but I use the, the mental ability to be strong um, for my kids now. Vashti, at 17 years old, um, won the U.S. indoors, mm -hmm. and uh, she set a world record in the high jump, jumping uh, 199, and actually beat, uh, in the indoors, she beat the lady who won in the 2016 Olympics. She beat her that day. Um, uh, but she's a three-time indoor American record, um, well, American champion, and she just won the outdoor championships last year and set another uh, world record for U20. And she's been to the Olympics, she finished 13th, then she went to the World's uh, Outdoor Championships and finished 10th. And then this, this year, yeah, this year she went to the indoor, IWF Indoor World Championships mm -hmm. and finished um, second. Yeah. She received the silver. So she's ranked number two in the world right now, and it's a blessing. And your son, uh, Randall Jr., also jumps. And she's, she's 20 years old. She's still she's a baby. 20 years old. Is it more fun to play, to compete, or to watch your children compete? It's the same to me. Okay. Because there's, there's pressure as a coach, there's pressure as a dad, um, there's the nerve uh, aspect of it. And then every time that she jumps, I fast. I don't eat until she's done. I always hope she jumps at around 3 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> instead of 9 o'clock at night sometimes. But um, it's a blessing. But I could tell you something. When you coach your own kids, it's not the easiest thing because you see a lot of yourself in your kid. Mm -hmm. And so I know now what I used to do to my coaches because uh, she does it to me. Uh, well, Turnabout's fair play. Yeah. Um, I think you've answered this question several times in different ways, but I do want to ask you this question. What drives you today? What's your motivation today? I think my, my motivation is still uh, God, family, and then ministry. Um, we talked about a teeny bit about my son. My son, Randall II, uh, some of you remember, he was being born my last year here with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I left to go home to be with him during our playoff game and then came back and was thrust into the action. Uh, he's 22 years old now. He's an outdoor NCAA champion. And just recently, I don't know if you guys saw it, but recently he was going up against the top jumpers in America at the NCAA uh, indoor championships and um, about to negotiate with Nike. And he cleared his first height, six, cleared six heights in a row. He uh, PR'd and jumped seven feet six. And the next jump he had, <clears throat> he went in there to jump and he planted and he broke his leg. And um, so he's on his way to the hospital and he gets a phone call and they told him, you are the NCAA indoor champion. He ended up winning the competition. <laughs> so it's like the dynamics, the ups and the yeah, downs. Yeah, the agony and the know? ecstasy there. Yeah, and then, you know, so he's had his leg, uh, uh, he had a rod put in and uh, he's an outdoor and indoor champion. Uh, and so <clears throat> right now he would be ranked the best jumper in the world. I mean, excuse me, in America. <clears throat> so to be able to have the ministry to God, then to my family, Mm -hmm. and then the ministry to people. Um, that's my focus. All right. Before we turn it over, I got one more. How about them Eagles? Oh, come on now. There's not enough we can say about what's happening in Philadelphia. I mean, with the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl, uh, the MVP of the Super Bowl, I was at the game, and uh, 
just to watch even a backup quarterback, Fowles going there with Wentz. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of both guys. I'm glad we're keeping both of them. And I hope we keep both of them. I love our, our head coach. I love what Jeffrey Lurie is doing. Uh, I think that this is a time that we should all rejoice as Philadelphians because even with Villanova taking things over with the 76ers doing so great right now, it's just, it's just amazing. And, and it's, a time, it's a time where we can really show people, you know, the brotherly love of Philadelphia, let people see it from the outside that we are one big city. And even though I don't live here anymore, I still feel... Oh, I know you carry yeah, it. Yeah, all the time. People I, I, ask me, are, are you a... Like during the... During the um, the Super Bowl, when I was in Minnesota, the people wanted to hear me say great things about Minnesota. And I, I what, what am I going to say about Minnesota? I'm a Philadelphia Eagle. I'm not going to, you know, this is, uh, this is who I am. That's right. That's so, right. Forever. So, so I, got, I got booed in Minnesota. They booed me You never me got bad. booed in Philadelphia, did I, you? No, they never got booed. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> A lot. Hey, nobody has escaped without that. That's so right. I know that this town holds you in its heart uh, forever and always and vice will. vice versa. Yes, and always indeed. will. All right, let's get some questions. Uh, Randall, can you take us back to the body bag game and what it was like watching that? That was Washington Redskins, if I'm correct. Yes. Who had that question? You did? The body bag game, that was, uh, that was something. There were a lot of guys that got injured that day, and I thank God that I, I, I survived through it. You're on the right side that day. Yeah, um, but it, it was, that, was, that, was, that was buddy ball. It was buddy football, you know? You go out. And, and it's, it's a street brawl, and you just go get the job done. And that's kind of how we played as a team. We were half crazy and, and great athletes on the team. And he put us all together and assembled us and gave us a, a mentality of domination. But he was great at playing the rivalries, the division rivalries, most especially the Cowboys. As fans, we loved it. As players, when he, you know, it would be these camp, we, we remember the snowball game and the wars against Jimmy Johnson, the whole thing. <laughs> As players, what did you think of all that? I mean, it was what it was. I mean, who Buddy was is what we became on the football field. And it wasn't phony. It was, it's kind of like um, a great business, uh, Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. The people who come up underneath Bill Gates are going to be like Bill Gates because he's the one who disciples them. And, and, and Buddy was discipling us. And maybe everyone didn't like his character, who he was. But when you sat down, and I remember, I think I told this story the last time, I remember uh, there was a day that I was just really upset at him because he ran us a lot or something like that. And I had to go pick up the game plan. And I had to walk by his office. And I tried to do one of those, kind of like when you're late to church, you kind of like close your eyes and just get <laughs> to your seat. I tried to get my game plan. And I had to walk by his office. And I tried to like close my eyes, thinking that he wouldn't see me for some reason. I don't know what that was about. And just go by. And he said, 12. Come on in. I'm trying. I'm saying, I, I want to walk. I want to keep on walking because I'm upset. I'm mad. I'm tired. I got to go home. I got to study. And I just want to eat. And so I go in the room. I'm like, what's up, coach? And had this kind of like disappointed look. He says, hey, you did a good job today. And man, you're going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league and just love you very much. And you just keep on doing what you're doing. And then you walk out of there. And that's what he did with us. You walk out of there. You got tears in your eyes. You go in mad. And you come out with, yeah. with daddy just encourage yeah. you at the perfect time he needed to encourage you. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he, knew how to, he knew how to play the psychology game. Yeah. Yeah. Randall, take us back to the 98 Vikings. Any stories about some of your teammates and playing with that offense? Yes. 
there's, there's one story that I, I enjoy telling from time to time, and it's the NFC Championship game that we actually lost. And I remember coming out and standing at the tunnel before the game started just to, just to come out and be announced and things like that. And I remember Jerry Ball, who had been with the Detroit Lions for years, was on the team, and Johnny Randall and Randall McDaniel. And I come down the, uh, uh, the tunnel, and we're about to go out, and everybody's quiet. And as we're quiet, I'm, I'm looking at it. I want, to, I want to pat guys on the back, say, man, let's go, let's go get them. And I look, and tears are coming down guys' eyes. And it was like, you know, 35-year-old men, 29-year-old men with tears just so focused that the overflow of tears are just coming down their face. And, and at that time, you know, it, they started to come down my face. And I'm wondering, like, why is this happening? But it's just the sheer determination of being in the moment. And uh, we went out, and we didn't win the game. But I remember getting down on my face when Morton Anderson went to go and kick uh, his uh, field goal in overtime. I just went down on my face and I prayed. I said, God, whatever your will is, I'm, I'm content with whatever it is. Can you give us another chance? If it be your will, give us another chance. And I looked up and he, Morton Anderson for the Falcons kicked the ball straight through and they went running around all over our field. And I'm sitting there going, man, is this the end of my career? Is this how my career ends? And I remember going to the locker room and Chris Carter was just losing it. He was so disappointed that we lost. I gave him a hug and I said, man, it wasn't God's will. And I remember going and doing the interviews and it was like the hardest thing. And then after the game, it was minus 30 degrees outside. And, you know, we have trench coats on, you have scarves on, and we go outside and there's 3,000 people outside just waiting to hug us and shake our hands and things like that. And, and that's what I'm reminded the sport is, is that it's, it's about the moment, but then it's about, hey, man, good luck the next time. And so I really appreciated the fans that were there. I appreciated, even though it wasn't uh, my will, but God's will was accomplished. And just really grateful to have that experience to be in a, an NFC uh, championship game like that. I know you're Christian, but I got to tell you, a kicker who didn't miss a kick all season misses a, a chip shot that would put you in the Super Bowl. Take a lot to forgive. No, it's easy to forgive. Okay. Okay. There's a, there's a, uh, a prayer we say before the games. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we have also forgiven those who trespassed against us. Mm. So it's not a difficult thing for me. I, I knew what he was going through that week, and it was very, very difficult. He went through a lot of very painful and very difficult things that week that had nothing to do with football. Okay. Okay. What is your greatest moment or accomplishment off the football field? Oh, whew. Ladies, it's probably uh, two things. Getting married and having a child. That's what I would say mm -hmm. it is, you know, because producing a baby, uh, and then my son looks exactly like me. It's kind of scary. Um, to see that little baby come out of there gave me so much respect for my wife and for women to, to bear children, you know. Uh, so having children, it's like I'm 55. I have a six-year-old daughter, and when she graduates, they're going to say, is that your great-grandfather right there? <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things that you accomplished that was very impressive to me, um, and I think this is right when you retired from the game, or maybe it's even that you took a year off during the game, is you started a marble business mm -hmm. out in Vegas, and you built it, and you actually were the guy grinding the marble, installing the marble, yes. doing all that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you had a background in that, but that's... that's no, I didn't. 
how, how did you uh, get interested and then how did you just, how were you able to build a business that fast? Um, I'm like infatuated with a lot of things. And it's like, I like to see something that looks terrible and then make it beautiful. I think that's what God does with all of us. Mm -hmm. We're all sinners from birth and then he turns around and turns us around after giving us a firm foundation and cleans us up and allows us to be these vessels that shine as lights in the earth. And I, um, my brother was in the business and I saw him doing work, polishing and grinding down stone and things like that. And so I bought him some tools because he wanted to do side work. And the next thing you know, I just really liked it. And I would go to model homes and things and I would see it, how it was done. I'd watch houses getting built. And so we started this company and uh, there was a guy who I encountered and um, his name was Joey Gomez. And uh, he was working in my house, putting a, a granite countertop in. And we became friends and we became Christians. He invited me to his church and I uh, ended up getting ordained there. Um, but uh, we, we started a company and we started a Bible study at the same time. And it kind of worked hand in hand. And the okay. next thing you know, I'm in the business and have a 10,000 square foot building. You would be in somebody's house installing their, their floor, their counter, and they would say? Getting cursed out. Pardon me? I would, be, I would get cursed out. Well, maybe you would be cursed out, but they but would say, wait, they, you're Randall Cunningham. Yeah, and, they, and I said, yeah, that's me, and they counter? would say, that that's when the curse words would come in. I said, oh, yeah. okay, those curse words. So-and-so-and-so, and so, Randall Cunningham would never do this, is right. what they would okay. say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it, you know, so they thought I was half crazy. That's, I think it's great. What's it like in your house having that many great athletes? I mean, there has to be some sort of competitiveness that goes on within the family. Can you share a few stories about that? My son and daughter, because they were in high school together, my son would be at Arcadia Invitational um, track meet or Mount Sac. These are large track meets in California. And they would jump side by side. And um, Randall would jump, and he would clear. And then they would say, and his sister Vashti Cunningham. And she would jump, and she would clear. And then they would win the track meets. And then they'd be doing interviews. Well, that was cool back then, and I love it. But now I have a, a freshman in high school. And she's six foot one and a quarter. And Wait, that little girl is now a freshman in high school? Gracie is, yes. Gracie okay. is. Wasn't yes. she like two a couple of weeks ago? No, that's <laughs> Sophia. Okay, there is a younger one then. Yeah, I'm not Sophia. crazy. She's okay. six. Six, okay. But, but Gracie, now we're going through the thing of, um, but Vashti is a great athlete and Randall's a great athlete and I have to tell him, no, you have the same genes and you're just as big, you're taller and just as fat. And I have to show her where her statistics in some areas are higher than her brother and sister because she just doesn't have that confidence right now. So I have to become a greater coach and a better father to help her to get to the next level. Just for a full disclosure, that gene pool isn't just his. Your wife was a ballet dancer. Yes, she was. And she's 5'11 and a half, so she's tall. And her sister's six foot or six foot one, so we, God gave us good genes. So that's, yeah, she's an athlete in her own right, yeah. your wife. Yeah. Do you, uh, who from that team when you played here, who do you still keep in contact with? I still with? stay in contact with uh, Calvin uh, mm -hmm. Williams, mm -hmm. uh, Fred Barnett, uh, Keith Jackson, Keith Byers. Uh, Mike Quick, of course, love Mike Quick. Ron Jaworski just uh, texted me. He said he's coming to Vegas, so hopefully I get to have dinner with him. Mike Mamula, of course, my brother right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, let me think. I also keep in contact with Ray Lewis of the Baltimore Ravens. I got okay. an opportunity to disciple him uh, when he was with the Baltimore Ravens. 
What's it, what is it like, because we heard a couple of the cuts today as called by Merrill Reese. Merrill has been calling Eagle games for 42 years. And he's going to do it for another 142 uh, gosh, years. Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. Um, everybody in town does a Merrill imitation. Everybody in town loves Merrill. What was it like when you heard, because obviously you're playing, you'll hear it at the time, but you go back and you hear calls from Merrill Reese. It's, it's, uh, it's great because Merrill, Reggie, and Mike Quick, we all had a radio show like early in my career. Yeah, sure. And I used to sit there and just look at him as he would commentate. And it was just, I'm like, this guy loves what he's doing. Yeah, he does. And, Still. And, and he's so good at it. And he doesn't complicate things. He just allows people to have fun. And his voice is the perfect voice. I think, I don't think his voice is like really like that. I think that it's a little different. It is now. It, it is now. So. Yeah, he basically became that voice. Right. He's, Merrill's like 5'7", yeah. 150 pound, all lungs. Yeah. All, all voice. But, um, after that, I did a radio show with him, and it was just, it was just, he's, he's a great man. Yeah. He's, a, he's the kind of person who should be in the NFL Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Uh, boy, I no sure agree. About it. I sure agree. Um, Randall, I have to tell you, um, I think everybody here just has enjoyed the last hour. It was a, a privilege watching you play here, and it's a privilege talking to you. You're, you're a terrific man, and Thank it's my so honor much. to spend the time with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Randall Cunningham. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like information on how you can attend our live events or book our new virtual ones, visit www.thuzio.com. That's T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio. Thuzio.